0: on the 15 second skip button. Enjoy.
1: Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news?
2: Hello, I'm Aaron Shelby. I'm board member of Carol Shelby International and co-president of the Carol Shelby Foundation.
1: The Driven Chat podcast in association with Paramex Digital. You dream it, we bring it to life. Find out more at DrivenChat.com.
0: Hello and welcome to the latest Driven Chat podcast. My name is John Marker. I am sat in our little Driven studio with my highly esteemed. OG colleague, I'm going to call you because you know we've been in this since day zero. Amy Shaw.
3: Hi, John Marker.
0: How are you?
3: I'm good, thank you. It's funny. I never usually wear headphones when we do our intros, and you you sound you sound very kind of polished your voice is very polished through a headphone and it's, ah. I know it's not not saying that your normal voice isn't polished. No is. it's
0: not it's not <laughs> this is the thing dear listener you, you you know you think you have an idea of what I sound like but in real life I sound awful.
3: <laughs> Terrible this is a great version of him don't ever meet him in I person. Might,
0: <laughs> <laughs> I might just give everyone a set of headphones to walk around and they can <laughs> listen to my voice in stereo. <laughs> Um, Well, today, as you've just heard from that little intro before the jingle, uh, we are talking to somebody very special. We are talking to Aaron Shelby, whose grandpa happens to be the one and only Carol Shelby.
3: This was really a cool... It was a cool chat. Mm. It was, I think, after watching Ford versus Ferrari, because I hadn't really heard Carol's story before that. And so, for me, that was like one of the introductions, and you're like, this... This bloke was cool. Yeah. So, um, yeah, being able to chat with Aaron, really super, super cool.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And we should say as well, I think I mentioned it in our conversation, so just to kind of break the uh, the fourth wall of illusion when it comes to audio productions, we've already had the conversation and now we're <laughs> saying hello. And But you're hearing this before you're hearing the conversation. Uh, but, yes, this conversation this podcast has been very kindly lined up by the lovely people at Goodwood in anticipation for our favorite events of the year um but for us actually our favorite event of the year which of course is the Goodwood Revival that's happening in September um and whilst there this year it is the 100th anniversary or the yeah 100th year um since Carol Shelby was placed onto this wonderful planet uh, to make amazing cars. And Mm -hmm. so it's being celebrated quite rightfully so with a huge gathering of cars. You'll hear a little bit more about that in this conversation. Um, But it is just worth making a note if you're there and you're thinking, oh, what should I do in September? Is there anything I need to add to my calendar? Just jot down Goodwood Revival and get in there rather quickly because it does tend to sell out. Mm -hmm. So, um, yes, if you like where this conversation is going, if you like what you hear and you want to see what we're talking about, and perhaps get the opportunity to meet Aaron as well, then, um, yeah, get that added to the diary, get those tickets booked over on the Goodwood website, and, um, yeah, we shall see you there. We will dive right into the conversation now. However, I will say, please will you rejoin us at the end of our podcast conversation, because we'll have some parish notes, a few things to share, uh, including um, an event announcement, and maybe the opportunity to come and do some work with us. More on that in a bit. Um, Amy Shaw, let's get a cup of tea and have a conversation that we've already had, which is making me more confused than perhaps it is the listener. I think we should just get straight into let's it. Let's get straight into it. Here is Aaron Shelby, grandson of Carol Shelby. Aaron Shelby, welcome to the Driven Chat podcast. Thanks for having me today. Oh, we're delighted to have you. So we are currently talking to you via a Zoom link, Amy Shaw and I, we are sat in a very cold and chilly, wintry England. And uh, you are sat in a, I'm guessing,
2: slightly warmer, maybe not completely warmer at your time of the morning, but slightly warmer Texas. Have I got that right? That is correct. Yeah, I'm in Dallas. Uh, we are probably a little warmer today. Last week we were covered in ice, however. So it was ah. uh, our, our brief winter came and went last week
3: in my head so I've been to Texas quite a few times and in my head it's whenever I've been it's always really hot so then there was this one trip where I went and I was like oh it's and even though it's winter it's not going to be that cold my word we were freezing we had not prepared at all had to go out and buy some hunting gloves and hats because that was the only thing that was available at like the local gas station to keep warm so um yeah I forget that Texas has a good winter too
2: (laughs) We, we, we can. It doesn't last all, a long time, and it's usually about three or four days at a time. But it's, uh, we had it last week. There was a good layer of ice, and a lot of the state was shut down last week.
0: Wow. Sounds a bit like our English summer. So about two weeks, and then that's it, rain. Back to rain. Um, now, I mean, we've got so much to talk to you today about. Firstly, thank you so much for, for joining us. We should mention, and we'll we'll – mentioned this in our episode in our conversation today but um, this has been very kindly set up this conversation between you and us has been very kindly set up by the lovely people at Goodwood who are organizing a a string of events this year but at the revival there's going to be a huge celebration to uh, somebody very very close to you which of course is your grandfather Carol Shelby Um, so we'll talk about that Um, but yeah before we dive into all of that it would be great to just hear from you and hear about one of my favorite questions I like to ask people is, what is your early childhood memory in or around cars? And I'm guessing, I could be wrong, but I'm guessing yours might be related to that very famous grandfather of yours.
2: It is to some extent, that's right. Yeah, it was interesting. I was born in 1971. And so Carol really wasn't in the car world for the first 10 years of my life. But uh, my father raced cars, and I got into watching that a lot. We lived in Southern California at the time. But One of my best car stories that I have is Carol took me to the factory at the time. He was working with Dodge in Southern California and took me to the factory to see where they produced the Shelby vehicles there. And he decided to teach me how to drive that day. Wow. Uh, I was about 12 years old and uh, we went out to the parking lot. They didn't really have a track per se, but they had some lines drawn in the parking lot that they would test cars on. And so he showed me what the car could do. And then out of the blue, he's like, come on, you're going to get in the driver's seat. I'm going to teach you how to do this now. And it was a little hatchback, a little Dodge Omni GLH, is what they were called. Um, little four-cylinder turbo car that he put together. And so he spent all afternoon with me, teaching me how to drive a standard. And uh, you know, I was tall for a twelve-year-old, so I could see over the steering wheel. So that was okay. <laughs> but it was—it's uh, a great memory for me, and, and a, you know, one of many good memories I have of spending time with my grandfather. Oh wow,
0: that's—I—I uh, I, I love the idea of that. And of course, at that point, so where was? Where was your grandfather?
2: Where was Carroll in his career? Was he yet? Was at the he's point? had
3: had all, had all had all the racing done at that point as well, wasn't it? So
2: yeah, so that's all finished. So this we're talking the early nineteen eighties at this point, and so he was had just come on board with uh, Dodge and Chrysler. Uh, Lee Iacocca had joined him, who had brought him in at Ford back in the sixties, and they had. Uh, brought Lee in to save Chrysler basically. And so he called Carroll and said, Hey, I need some help over here. We need to jazz up a little bit of the line. And so they didn't have a large budget nor a lot of uh, great engineered parts necessarily, but they went to work and um, really similar to what they did in the sixties, Carroll set up a factory in Southern California, Dodge would ship cars down there and he would convert them to Shelby vehicles there. And that lasted for really about 11 or 12 years, uh, culminating in the Dodge Viper. That was the last project he worked on at Dodge.
0: Wow. And how did that come about? So your grandfather, Carol, he's had this successful motorsport career. He's been in and around the world of cars. What was the first encounter that in then put him in a position where he was helping engineer cars for bigger brands, no ends
2: I think what he was famous for saying and, and the way the story really went, when he spent a lot of time in Europe in the fifties racing, he really looked at what Cars were available in Europe and then what really was lacking in the United States at that point in time and just had this idea of uh, with all the time particularly spent in England you know looking at the smaller English sports cars and going you know what would happen if we could just put more power in these you know they're nice they handle well lightweight but what happens if we can get an American V8 in one of these and that was really the genesis of it looking at the AC uh, Bristol or Ace and ultimately you know putting a deal together after he had to stop racing in 1960 and Talking with the AC folks, talking with Ford, he had heard about their new uh, small block V8, and putting a deal together. Where basically he sold both sides that it was done on either side, and yet he had neither side done. It was, <laughs> it was a little bit of smoke and mirrors, but it all came together for him. Wow!
3: I think some of the best uh, outcomes in any business is, is kind of is is often started from that smoke and mirrors, and somebody who has an idea and thinks, "Hey, I think I can do this," and just being able to sometimes pull those people together or those opportunities together to make something incredible come out, especially if you've got people who are saying, that's not really possible, because otherwise it would have been done already if people have thought had thought that it was all possible and easy and cheap or whatever they may have thought it could be. If if, if anything's against any one of those, people are thinking, you know what, we, we can't be bothered. So it's amazing that your grandfather thought, actually, you know what, I can do this and I'm going to show you <laughs> and then race it and then prove that it's, Everything that you ever thought it wouldn't be.
2: <laughs> yeah, no, that's exactly right. And he was persuasive and a salesman, if, it, if not anything else. And so, you know, the the famous story is he was pestering Ford people so much that Iacocca just finally said, give that guy some money and a couple of motors and just get him out of here. <laughs> Let him go do what he's going to do. So, um, you know, and, and the Genesis really, the first Cobra coming out in 1962. Ford was skeptical of it. I don't think they were fully bought into it. And so while it debuted at the New York Auto Show, he was not in Ford's booth. They had a little spot out on the side for him to debut this car on because I didn't really want to claim it until I saw what they had. Uh, But then once it started being the Corvettes on the racetracks and the magazine articles came out with it on the cover, all of a sudden it was like, okay, maybe there is something here. Mm. it's a
3: bit cheeky of them to be like oh we're not behind it until we we see that it's gonna gonna work really well and then uh yeah that's that's a bit cheeky but at the same time i suppose it's it's almost a it's it feels better when when you can prove it that way and you can be like i told you so (laughs) that must be (laughs) really sweet (laughs) oh that's
2: exactly right so it's uh you know and carol was good at putting people together he wasn't necessarily an engineer he knew how vehicles worked and he knew kind of what he wanted to do but he also knew how to Hire the right people. And he was fortunate in those early days to put together a team that really saw his vision and was able to perform. And he knew what he didn't know as well, if that makes sense. And mm-hmm. so he knew where to stand back and let his guys just do their work. And then he, he would give them an overview and uh, really kind of similar to the Ford versus Ferrari movie how it played out. He would go up to Detroit and politic and have his suit and tie on. Then he'd come back to Los Angeles and go. I know they said this, but just keep doing what you're doing. I'll get you covered. <laughs> yeah.
3: That's really, really cool. So, I mean, just as you have picked up on it with the with the Ford versus Ferrari film, was that something that you something that you guys had quite a lot of input in with information and to kind of make sure his character came across truthfully, or um, was that something that was kind of all taken into just like the the. The film itself, and you—you you had to step back, like sit back and just let it happen. What happened there?
2: We—we actually just kind of sat back. We did offer. We knew the film had been greenlighted, and so we, as both a family and company, had reached out to see if they wanted any assistance. And they, Fox, at the time, was like, "No, I think we're good. We got it." And there's obviously been a lot of books written about the topic. And they did hire one of the uh, Team Shelby engineers, um, uh, pick guys from from the race team back in the '60s to help consult. And so. You can't force your way into it, and it's a public story. So we just kind of sat back, and we, I knew the company that had su- supplied the Cobras and the GT40s, and I knew some other people behind the scenes, so we kind of kept up with it that way. And then around the time the filming was wrapping up, Fox did reach back out and said, you know what, it would be nice to have, one, the Shelby family kind of sign off on it, and two, to have the Team Shelby, which is our enthusiast group, help support it and with different marketing events and things like that. And so we got a better relationship once it was done. But one of those aspects that, that occurred when one of my brothers and I were able to fly out to Los Angeles and see the film about four months ahead of time and at the Fox studio lots. And we enjoyed it. It wasn't the final cut that we saw, but I was more impressed than I thought I would be. You know, if you've seen it, it's really a good people story. Mm-hmm. And it's, it certainly has a lot of car and action scenes in it, but it's really not a car story. It's much more about the relationships, the people and, I was impressed with Matt Damon's portrayal. Um, I think he did a good job. I really didn't envision that ahead of time. I I, like Matt Damon as an actor, enjoyed all of his movies. I just didn't see him playing my grandfather, (laughs) but I do think he did a good job of getting Carol's character across. And it was interesting. We were able to meet with him at the red carpet premiere in Hollywood. And I asked him, I said, so how did you, how did you do your research? You know, there's, some videos out there and, and you know carol was pretty public he's like well there's just hundreds of hours of him in interviews on youtube he's like i just sat down and watched them all Brilliant. and you really in are different age you know he's in different ages in these interviews and so i, I really kind of picked up on you know his attributes that way and then a number of times he does talk about ken miles and his relationship so that was that was really how he did it and i thought he did a good job of getting carol's character across
0: fantastic and how did he feel at the point that he met you and you said well actually I'm uh, I'm Carol's grandson did he <laughs> did he feel a bit of uh, apprehension or pressure there
2: oh i don't think so you know it's if you look back at his career he's done so many of these kind of semi-true story movies um i think he's just built for that you know we were, we also met christian bale and he was super nice um you know both of them just were so happy to be part of the film and that it, that it turned out well and so it was, um, they couldn't have been nicer to us. We spent uh, quite a bit of time with them that night and really enjoyed it. And, and they were nothing but pleasant. Fantastic.
3: That's wonderful. It must be still so nerve wracking to think ah, this is kind of my family being portrayed and, you know, uh, my, my grandfather and just kind of almost it sounds like it's almost forced to as you said you, you can force yourself in not that you, you necessarily want to but to almost have a little bit of an idea of how they were going to portray your grandfather and 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 that must have been a little bit nerve-wracking because i mean in in the uk we've got a, a tv show about the royal family called the crown and oh, sure. I, I can't imagine that none of them would be very happy with the way that they've all been portrayed <laughs> so to kind of have you know something that's purely being made for entertainment purposes that can sometimes over dramatize certain things and you think oh hang on a second that even though that situation happened it didn't happen like that and that's portrayed things in a different way and that yeah could be quite nerve-wracking so um yeah you guys a bit like ah we'd like to be involved but we can't or were you kind of thinking you know what we'll trust that they'll do a good job
2: yeah and i think that was you're you're spot on with that assessment we weren't sure exactly what was going to come out for with the finished product but we i enjoyed it i think again it was a good way to tell the overarching story i think today even you have a lot of diehard car enthusiasts or shelby fans that don't like it and say it's just not accurate enough but you can't <laughs> cram five years into two hours without some hollywood magic and mm-hmm. you know there's um there's certainly some things I've, i might have changed in there uh, i think the phil remington carry Character. If you looked at him, Phil was critical to the success of Shelby American, but yet they kind of gave him a Hollywood sort of just comedic role, which wasn't his character at all. Mm. Um, but at the same time, I get why they did it. They, you know, it was telling the story and you kind of, it was a Hollywood formula. So at the end of the day, I think the preponderance of people that saw it really enjoyed it and it was a great way to get this story out in front of audience that had no idea that this had occurred
1: yeah
2: um even if you look at shelby fans from when ford and shelby rejoined back in the mid-2000s a lot of those folks that are really enthusiasts didn't have a great feel for the history of the of the team back in the 1960s and this was a good way to again tell the story in general terms i won't say exactly how it happened but it's in general terms it was a great way to get the story in the public realm yeah there's a
0: great saying i love which is never let the truth get in the way of a good story and i think hollywood tend to uh, <laughs> t- tend to play by that rule quite a lot don't
2: they yeah and i think you know it's something that was interesting too along the lines it was a little bit more happenstance my brothers and i were working with adam Kroll and his team at chassis media to do a carol shelby documentary in conjunction with this film. And we were able to get it out at about the same time. And so his team had done a a documentary called the 24 hour war, which did a great job of really telling the story from a true documentary perspective. Um, And then, so we, they had extra footage and we had been wanting to do something more of a biography of Carol individually. And so we worked with them for about two years on that and were able to get it out into uh, Netflix was the first streaming service that picked it up but um, at the same time in November of 2019 and so we were doing that sort of alongside so we knew while the big movie was going and it was going to tell the story to some extent we had this more accurate biography that was going to be coming out at the same time and we were excited about that that's great
0: yeah that's great and of course I guess <clears throat> I assume you had a bit more creative control on that and the ability to portray the right people in the right ways which is great um, now, yes,
2: most definitely.
0: Let's talk about you a little bit, Aaron, because I see from a bit of research that you're in and around the car world. You, you clearly love cars and you have a great association with them. But kind of, your day-to-day life, your, your day job, is it as car-focused as people might expect?
2: Uh, it is not. Most people are surprised. I'm actually a banker by day here in Dallas. This has been my job for about 20 years. Uh, and I enjoy it. I have a couple of teams here in commercial banking and, and single family mortgage banking here in the Dallas area. And I, I really like it. It's, it's been something that we were a family-owned bank when I joined 20 years ago. My father was chairman and I was, uh, came up through the ranks there. We sold out in 2015 and subsequently that bank sold out in 2019. So we're a couple of iterations down the road, but it's a good team here. But through that time and the evolution of my job with Shelby and in the car world, it's been an interesting way to get, you know, client introductions and things and there's certainly a lot of car fans out there but it, people are always surprised when i tell them the shelby business is kind of my side job it's my fun <laughs> side job there's no doubt about it but it's uh, it's not my full time Full time job here. Love that. I What's, love. I love.
0: I? Sorry. Yeah, I, I love the idea of somebody coming in, perhaps for a mortgage application, and you maybe looking through finances and go, "Oh, you're spending a lot here on car stuff." And they're
2: like, "Oh yeah," and <laughs> then they kind of put
0: two and two together and realize, "Oh, hang on a minute." <laughs>
2: yeah. Now that's happened a few times. So, and it's uh, it, you know not everybody picks up on the last name, but those that are close in the car world definitely are like, "Hey, any chance you're related to Carol?" And then they're always surprised. Nobody expects a yes answer out of that. So yeah. then they're surprised when you say yes.
3: <laughs> that is one thing I do love about the car world is that regardless of what your day jobs are or whatever you kind of your background there is always that connection. So as, as you said in a way to to meet people or you know clients or whatever it's having that common hobby that kind of spans across the world and regardless of really how much kind of cash you you have you can you can love it just as much as any other hobby and um yeah be able to chat about it and and connect through that so I've always found that super interesting when you meet somebody and you're like oh hey you're you're like me (laughs) and you can (laughs) chat about those things
2: no I think you're spot on
3: was the automotive world ever something that you thought you'd want to get into yourself or did you think you know what I want to forge my own path for myself and not just kind of be expected to go into the car world was that decision that you made Made, kind of when you were a teenager or what kind of happened there?
2: Yeah, so I think, you know, Carol was at, at Dodge and, and Chrysler in the 80s when I was a teenager. And I really did want to go into the car world. I didn't know what I wanted to do by any means. And so I went to a university in California, uh, got a business degree there, talked to him a bit about, you know, what's what opportunities are out there. In the 90s, he didn't have a lot business-wise going on personally. It wasn't really an opportunity to join him, but I said, you know, what if I join Ford or what if I join, you know, one of the car companies? And they're like, well, if you go do that, you're really just going to be sitting in a cube somewhere doing mm-hmm. accounting work. I mean, that's not what you want to do probably. And so I didn't push it real hard. I did talk to a couple of race teams about trying to join them. And ultimately I'd had a job offer in Dallas. And so I, I moved back and started that up and just kept the passion of cars in my life as opposed to really working with anything. And I always admired what he did, but I didn't have that same arc. I guess the idea—you um, know—I'm I'm entrepreneurial, but I'm not in that same vein as he is. And he was famous for always just saying. And he was rich and poor many times in his life. I mean, mm. he had no there was—he didn't look at the risk reward. He just looked at, it as I'm going to go do it? If it works, great. If it doesn't, then I'll figure out something else tomorrow." <laughs> I was always a little more conservative than that, so I didn't want to—I didn't want to be on the bad end side of that. <laughs> yeah. So. You know, we continued through life, and it was fun when he joined back with Ford. We got to do some things with him, family-wise, and and some opportunities showed up. But ultimately, there really wasn't ever a place. It wasn't like, oh, I'm going to be in Carol's shoes as a successor down the road. That just wasn't really it because he was a one-man show. You know, how do you replace Carol Shelby? And it was funny because I'd watched some people that were his partners try and do that through the years, and it just never worked out well. So it was after he passed away in 2012, um, Ford was rolling out the new GT350, and they had called up and said, you know, we'd really like to see family involvement here. Would you mind coming to the unveil? And we've got Henry Ford III, who's a little younger than me, um, coming as well, so we can kind of still show that the Shelby Ford families work together. And there's two gentlemen that are the trustees of Carroll's Estate, and they run the day-to-day business, and they're not really face people. They don't want to be out front all the time, and so they they were like, "Yep, yeah, please, Aaron. If you're interested, let's come out and do this." And so that went really well. I enjoyed it. You know, who's, who doesn't want to go to a car show and and mm-hmm. unveil a new car with your name on it? Mm-hmm. So that was great. Um, and then all of a sudden, it was like, "Well, we've got another deal. You know, next month and so and so." And then we've got another one down here. Would you mind doing that? I'm like, "Hold on. Let's. You know, yes, I like all this, but I've got to be able to balance it at the same mm-hmm. time." And so. Through that evolution of about a year, that's where it evolved into me joining the, the foundation board first and then ultimately the company board in 2016. And, and that's uh, my role today. It's brand ambassador for the Shelby brand. And then I work heavily with Ford on the Ford relationship side. So I'm in Dearborn three or four times a year with our team out of Las Vegas and the, working with them on what's coming down the pipeline with Shelby and Ford.
3: That that sounds awesome, and I mean it must be so wonderful, especially at some of these events, to meet people who know who you are and who your grandfather was, and f- to be like, hey, you have your family have inspired me to do this, and I've been in you know loving cars because of of Carol. You must hear quite a lot of those stories and think, ah, oh, you know what, that's really cool. I'm I'm really glad to, to be able to be here and and hear these stories.
2: Amy, you're you're really correct on that, and that is one of my favorite parts of this role. Carol met so many people through his life and was involved in so many different projects. It is one of my favorite things to go to the larger events and meet people. And, you know, I met your grandfather in 1982, and we talked about this, and then I met him again in 1990. And and those are the stories that I really enjoy, because he was a character for sure, but he was also a very personable guy. He made everybody feel like their best friend, and he just, he drew the best out of people for the most part. And I think it's, just to, to hear those stories today just it makes him seem like he's still here and i do enjoy that greatly yeah there's great um i mean it's uh, without wanting
0: to go on to too much of a, a philosophical tangent but you know i i enjoy having conversations with people whether or not they believe in you know if they're religious or believe in the afterlife or things like that but I think when you can leave behind a legacy, it's kind of that That to me is almost like proof of an afterlife in one form. The fact that people can still celebrate the achievements or even just the personal ability of somebody. He was so nice. He was so friendly. He took the time to shake my hand and share a few stories. And that as a memory, you know, living on as, as this kind of wave of positivity is, is fantastic. And yeah, he must be so so proud of that. I'd love to know, is there a time... Uh, perhaps as in your in your younger years where you kind of had one of those look around and realization moments go, oh, hang on a minute, my grandpa's kind of a big
2: deal. <laughs> yeah, I've got, a, I've got a couple of those stories, but I think the first one I have early on, 1982, we had, um, he flew my mom and I over to Las Vegas. It was a Las Vegas Formula One race. And I had been to the Long Beach race earlier that year and just fell in love with it. And so Formula One is still probably my favorite racing sport today. So he flew us over. I don't remember if he was, um, you know, grand marshal or why, what, what his involvement was, but he was there. And so he you know, gave us our tickets. We went to the stand. He said, just meet me in the lobby. This was in the Caesars Palace hotel parking lot. It wasn't a great track per se, <laughs> but it was, it is what it is. Um, and so he said, just meet me in the lobby afterwards and we'll get, we'll meet back up and go back to the airport. And so my mom and I are standing in the lobby and That year, toward the last half of the year, Mario Andretti was standing in at Ferrari for Didier Peroni, who had gotten uh, injured earlier in the year. And he didn't finish the race, but everybody knew who Mario was. This was just a few years after his world championship. And so I spotted Mario, and I was, you know, 12 years old, 11, 12 years old, and um, was talking to my mom, like, look, that's Mario Andretti. And I had my program, of course, but I was too nervous to go up and ask him for an autograph. And so in the middle of my mom and I talking about this, Carol walked up. He's like, "What are you guys talking about?" And Mom's like, "Oh, Mario's over there," but Aaron's too nervous to go ask him, and uh-huh. Carol just out of blue yells, "Mario, come over here!" <laughs> so I'm like, "Wait hey <laughs> a second, how do you know Mario Andretti?" I had no idea, and Mario, of course, as nice as he is, he came over, introduced himself to me, and signed my program, and and it still didn't—I couldn't figure out how does my grandfather know a Formula One World Championship <laughs> or world champion driver. And it wasn't until later, like, oh, well, he drove for my grandfather. You know, he won the Sebring, and Sebring race in 1967 driving for Shelby American. And so they had a long history together. But I just, I would have never put those two things together. It just wasn't something that my 12-year-old brain could get, it, get wrapped around. So yeah. it, was a, it was an interesting time. It's a great story in, in a great way. And I still, I see Mario on occasion um, and remind him of that story. He always chuckles.
3: I suppose that's one of the the most um, yeah the, the ways especially as you said as it as a twelve year old brain and you see grandpa as grandpa, and then mm-hmm. you still see these other celebrities that are that you admire and mine, you look up to and you you go hey you're really cool and it's 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 as you've just. Clearly pointed out, it's not until those kind of cross over, you're like, oh, hang on a minute. This, I think, I think you're pretty cool too. So that's, yeah. that's amazing. It, it really
2: is. And it's, um you know, he ran through a lot of different people in his life as far as just either casually or through business. And it, it's amazing the stories that you get out of that. And I think one of the positives for me out of social media is the ability to connect some of these people. And I get a lot of oh, folks that share their photos with me of, carols with them in their car in 1992 or 1978 or whenever that was and they're uh you know it's a it's a prized possession and it it brings me a lot of joy to see that excitement that is still generated around my grandfather and the shelby brand in general
0: Mm -hmm. yeah that's brilliant and it really is one of those brands and one of those you think of the the logo and you think of it even from yeah the early days of as you you mentioned, the big engines being dropped into the the little four cylinder AC Ace, which was just unheard of. You know, you can imagine the the, the, the Brits going, "You're doing what to our engine? You know, our, our little our little sports car." <laughs> it's the equivalent of taking a Mazda MX Five or a Miata, as as you call them in the US, and you know, sticking a ls3 v8 in it going ah let's just do this because yeah. it seems to need more power um but it, it's just a brand you know I, I can't think of anyone you often hear of like brand rivalries don't your people prefer BMW M over amg or audi's rs brand and they say oh no amg we don't like those but shelby seems to be just universally loved and perhaps it's because of that amazing story and your grandfather's just kind of ah, let's go and give it a go let's 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 just throw some ideas at it and see if it sticks. And I think that's so relatable, isn't it, for a lot of people? I was
3: just, you, you've t- taken the words from my mouth. I was just about to say it sounds like he was so relatable, that mm. instead of it being a, a large company and just about money-making and let's just see what we can produce, he was a man that was like, no, let's go and do this be- because. And, uh, yeah, that's that must have been something that has carried on and definitely carried the legacy in such a positive light forever. I mm. think
2: it is, and it, I think you really hit the nail on the head with that. You know he just had that ability to bring people together and today when we do shelby events around the country or even around the world that enthusiasm is there and whether a lot of people today never were able to meet carol for you know time reasons or whatever but they still bring that family attitude to the events and the idea of just camaraderie and and hanging out together and maybe you mentioned a little bit earlier the cars are fantastic and it's always fun to celebrate but it's about the people And the people that Shelby brings together, it's a good positive crowd and everybody, whether you see them once a year, once every couple of years, you just pick right up where you left off and start catching up again. And so that's really what I think has surprised me most over the last six or eight years that I've been doing this is just that continued enthusiasm and camaraderie that Shelby brings uh, to the crowds that bring it together.
1: Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The Driven Chat Podcast in association with Paramex Digital.
3: Amazing. I mean, have you got a real standout favorite memory with Carol?
2: Yeah, I think one of my memories that really stands out to me was when he drove the Dodge Viper as the pace car at the Indy 500 in 1991. So, you know, I'm in college he had been going through a really poor health time. This is not quite a year after he finally had a heart transplant. So there was a, a couple of years where he really wasn't expected to survive. And the heart transplant just truly gave him a new lease on life. And so the viper wasn't quite out yet. It had been introduced. And like I mentioned earlier, he was part of the team with that. So for me, I was like, well, I got to figure out how to get there. He had driven the pace car a few years earlier and I wasn't able to go. I'm like, all right, it's Memorial weekend. I can, I'll figure it out. So I got a plane ticket. I called him. I said, if I can get myself to Indianapolis, can you get me a place to stay and whatnot? And at the time, Indy was a full month long. And so with all the practice and qualifying and everything they did. And so a lot of the folks that were there would just get in a corporate apartment for a month. He's like, oh, I got an extra bedroom in my apartment, so you can come stay with me. So we did that and flew out there to that was my first time to visit indianapolis as well it's quite a facility if you haven't been there it's hard to let the tv do it justice as much as they try to but it's just a massive massive facility and to see it you know 1991 filled up with 350,000 people on race day it's just there's i don't have another site that i can compare it to quite frankly um but we go out there and so he's nice enough he's introduced me to people and saturday before the race there's no on track activities and so usually it's a media day and so that day they were he was taking people for rides around the track in the in the viper it had rained rain the night before so the track was kind of wet but there was a long line of people there to ride and i really of course wanted to ride and but if i'll you know i wasn't a media so i didn't have preference and finally i was standing there and somebody was slow getting in the car he's like jump in real quick i'll take you so i jumped in the car and i've got a good picture of he and i sitting in the car and so we get up to, I looked over, we were doing about 160 on the back straight. And, you know, this is after, you know, the track's still a little wet. And, you know, this is a prototype car. It's not the final, final car. Um, but just that probably put the biggest smile on my face uh, doing that. And that whole weekend was just a kind of a dream for me. Um, not just being at the Indy 500, but being there with, with my grandfather. It was really a lot of fun.
0: Oh, I can imagine.
2: Would love to see that photo if you still
0: have it. It'd be, uh, a
2: oh
0: fancy, yeah, I'll send it to you. Fantastic thing to share on our social feeds. That'd be brilliant. Um, yeah, wow. I mean, it, it's it, it's just so incredible to hear these stories and to, and again to have such a a close link to somebody that for many many years is going to have such a huge impact on the car world. Um, and of course, at a time where it's massively evolving. You know, we are. Both us here in the UK as well as over in the US, there's, I know, different certain states are doing it in different ways, but everyone's kind of gearing up now for electrification and moving forward, looking at mm-hmm. uh, waving goodbye to perhaps the, the great big thumping V8s that we've all known and loved for, for many years uh, to get ready for this new chapter of electricity or maybe hydrogen or maybe algae-powered or hopefully, hopefully, fingers crossed, synthetic fuels making a, a big jump into the world where we can all get excited about that. Where do you sit with uh, looking at the future with, with such a strong
2: family heritage? I think it, um, and this surprises people a little bit, but Carol was a look-forward guy. He really didn't look back at his history probably until his last 10 or 15 years of life. And because of that, he was always about technology and evolution. What's going to be the next best technology? whether it was at the time petrol or, you know, in 2003, he actually put together a hydrogen powered COBRA with some uh, professors over at the University of California. And so he was always about trying what's new out there. We've actually, one of his last interviews in 2011, he spends quite a bit of time talking about electrification and how excited he was to to know that was coming. Hmm. Unfortunately, he's like, I just don't think I'm going to be here to see the end results of that. But I do think there's there's validity to it. And so to have him on tape talking about that, I think, helps our charge today because people think of Shelby, they think of the loud V8s and the superchargers, and and we are about power and and performance in that regard. But Carroll's famous for saying, you know, I'm Carroll Shelby and performance is my business. He doesn't say internal combustion engine performance is my business. Very true. It's just performance. And whatever could get you an edge to go faster and better, that would be where he would go. And so I think he'd be excited today about the different opportunities that are out there. we've worked with Ford. We do have a, uh, we rolled out almost a year and a half ago now at SEMA, a Shelby version of the Ford Mach-E and really, you know, dressed it up to look like a Shelby. We've got a hood scoop in it and there's some some things that are functional on there that you wouldn't necessarily look at it and say, oh, that's an electric vehicle. Um, And we're excited about that. I think the electric technology is evolving quickly. I don't know where that's going to end up from a battery perspective and a motor perspective, but I think there's a lot of quick evolution happening there. Hydrogen definitely is looking like it's coming down the pipeline. BMW and Toyota are put a lot of effort into that. I don't know what the end result really is, but we want to keep as a company everything in mind. And what's <clears throat> again, look back to the performance side of it. What's going to provide the best performance? And that's where we're going to continue to see the evolution of, I think, the propulsion for the vehicle industry.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Very well said. And yes, you're absolutely right. That famous statement from, from Carol, of course. Makes perfect sense. Yeah, we're looking at like them or hate them. There are a lot of electric cars out there that are blisteringly fast and will make even the mm-hmm. biggest, best supercharged V8s look like they're going in reverse off the line. So, <laughs> yeah, I do like I love the idea of uh, yeah, perhaps him experiencing one of those crazy launches in something like a Tesla plate or something to see how fast yeah. these cars can be. I, I bet he'd be really excited by it.
2: Oh, he'd be fired up with that. I think for just you know for him to experience that would have been something else. And um, you know, it's uh, I'm sorry that he's not here to do it, but we're excited as a team at Shelby American to help carry that vision on for him. Great.
3: Absolutely. I mean, I mean, can I ask what's in uh, what's in your garage at home?
2: You can. So my daily driver is probably not something you'd find in England, but a Ford Raptor truck, Nice. So I, I'd actually be afraid to drive it over there. I don't think it'd fit on a lot of roads. <laughs> <laughs> I have a hard time with it here sometimes, but I do love the vehicle. We do have a version of the Ford Raptor, but I think if
0: you saw our version of it, you would laugh in hysterics and possibly have to leave the room because it's uh, effectively... <laughs> Think of, I think the smallest pickup truck that you might be able to purchase. Yeah, in the, the Ranger. US. I think. Yeah, yeah. It's it is the Ranger. It's the Ranger with yeah. Raptor written on the front. It's just embarrassing. <laughs> it really is. And I think a few people they have tried to import them over, and there are a few. There are a few here, but you're absolutely right. Especially in our neck of the woods here in the Midlands, and we're kind of near to the Cotswolds, which will have yeah, it's beautiful, scenic, yeah. lovely places. But the roads are just about wide enough to get a uh, AC Ace down, let alone anything else. So. Yeah 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 no that sounds awesome yeah so
2: what else have so you got I, i've away? got that and uh my my newest car to the edition was last year i did get a 2022 gt500 oh, and nice just love that vehicle i've loved them since they came out and i kind of waited to last year to pick one up i did the i don't know if you saw they have a heritage color on it the Brittany blue that was same as the 67 gt500 yeah. and i've got the carbon fiber track pack on it that is just an awesome vehicle i uh, Carol would have had so much fun with that with that car. Um, so we, we've got a neat collection of different things between my dad and brothers and I. And you know. As most car people, I always run out of space. So there's always a couple more <laughs> yeah. that I like to get, but I don't have room for them right now. So we'll, we'll see where that goes.
0: Yeah, I, I love that. That is such a universal first world problem to have, isn't it? You know, whether you've got space yeah. for two cars or space for 20 cars, if you love the cars, you will fill that space <laughs> and you will then have mm-hmm. to work, work out this horrible calculation of oh, maybe <laughs> I could put that into storage or sell that one or I don't really drive that one. Oh, but it is nice to have that. Yeah, it's, uh, I think it, you know we've got listeners all around the world and there'll be people in every single continent on the in the world going, Yep, I can relate to that. Yeah, that's that's Yeah, big... I
2: hear that pretty frequently. Yeah. <laughs> one of the interesting cars that I've got is a nineteen sixty seven Lincoln Continental Convertible. Oh wow. Yes. So probably about one of the biggest cars they ever made. There may be a couple of Cadillacs bigger, but um it's a powder blue color with a navy interior convertible top. This had the suicide doors on it, if you can envision that. Yeah. And the neat thing, this car was actually given to Carroll in 1967 by Ford after they won Le Mans. And so right. I bought it from his estate mm-hmm. uh, six or seven years ago now. But um, it's a fun car just to get out and cruise on the weekends. But it is a large car, and it is a lot of steel that you're you're steering around.
3: <laughs> yeah, I mean, what on earth? That must be heavy. What on earth would be the, the mile per gallon? I yeah, it's
2: like 7,500 pounds, I think. It's, a, it's <laughs> big. It's got a 7.2-liter motor in it. It's, it's a huge motor. Wow! So, uh, aircraft carrier for the road. <laughs> yes, exactly. You know, I tell people you don't drive it; you just sort of you sort of aim it down the road because it's pretty floaty.
1: <laughs>
3: it is. It is when you get into one of those floaty cars, you think, "Oh, suddenly I understand the more modern vehicles of why they made them less floaty." <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the floatiest car I've no, ever driven. No, that's exactly
2: a... right. So, but it takes up a lot of room. I keep thinking I might need to sell it. And I just can't pull the trigger on no. that. There's no. Too a little too much emotion in that one. Yeah.
3: No, that's going to have to be a forever vehicle. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean in yeah. kind of talking about um more more modern stuff now as well. You've got the uh, the Carroll Shelby um Centennial the 100 mm. special edition vehicles. Tell us a little bit more about those.
2: Yeah, so we decided um with the team in Las Vegas at Shelby American we needed to do something to celebrate carol's birth year. And we've gotten really good the last number of years of kind of doing niche runs of vehicles and you know we've got a good formula for the Super Snakes and you know putting more power in and we decided the Centennial version would be a good way to honor Carol. Also Ford carrying the the current Mustang model into half of 2023 was a good way for us to come up with something unique to kind of send this model off into the sunset as well. So we had a great introduction in the middle of January with this car, Um, really, really well received. I think we were sold out of the hundred of them within about 36 hours.
3: Wow.
2: Wow. So it's, they're all gone at this point in time, uh, which is what we like to hear. You know, now, now it's up to us to get them all produced and, and out the door in the next couple months.
0: That's N- awesome. No pressure there then.
2: <laughs> no, no, no. Well, it's, you know, the funny thing is we, it, the design sides, I won't say easy, but it's something we handle very quickly. Mm. When you're talking supplier side in today's world, when you're doing smaller niche runs of things like this, it's not as easy as you would think to find somebody who wants to build a hundred of something. Yeah. You know, they want to build a 1,000 or something. And so we do have some struggles on occasion on the supplier side, just trying to get this all to come to fruition. But uh, the last year, year and a half, we've seen some improvement in that uh, supply chain side. And we're, we'll are we get them out here, hopefully, in the next uh, several months. Fantastic. Oh, that's really exciting.
0: And what else is your kind of your day-to-day involvement in Shelby? You mentioned the facility in Vegas. I was very, very fortunate back in 2015, I think it was, I, I had a, the opportunity to visit and have a bit of a – exclusive behind the scenes tour with a, a very very large event that I was part of uh, in Vegas the Gumball Rally um, and we kind of ended with our, our kind of end party was at uh, at the, the Shelby facility and it was just amazing being able to walk around there see some of the classics some of your grandpa's original cars and then to see some cars in the workshop on the ramps getting you know, modifications done or cars being built and um, how frequently do you get to go to that facility and, and what's uh, what is your kind of role when you go?
2: So I go probably three to four times a year. Uh, most of the time it's around an event, you know, with SEMA being there this year, we're excited. We've got the formula one race coming into town later this year. Yes. And so what I'll do is build in a day or two of just being at the facility around whatever events coming through town and gets me to, to kill two birds with one stone that way. Um, the team and I get together probably more frequently, Gary Patterson, who's the president of Shelby American out of Las Vegas. He and I, as I mentioned earlier in Detroit, several times a year together. We do a lot of events outside of Las Vegas together, so we do a lot of collaboration. But when I'm there in person, a lot of it's just walking the floor. Um, if you recall, there's sort of the museum slash heritage center there. Uh, we do tours there a lot of times, uh, two to three times a day actually now. And so I'll end up popping in on a tour and get introduced and just say hi to people. And it's just a, it's a fun way to kind of see where everything's made. You know We've got a great staff there on the ground, not much different than what Carol had put together in the 60s. We've got a great team of people that have been with us for a long time and know how the process works and how to put these things together. And so it's neat to see if you've got a lot of other people that just come through town, whether it's vacationing in Las Vegas or they're in for an event. I get calls on, hey, do you think you can set a tour up for me in the Shelby facility? And so it's a good way just to show our brand off and the location of it being really very fairly close to the strip there um the traffic volume that we get is really pretty high and we're we're excited about the location and it's been a good spot for us for the last i think we moved in probably just before you got there i think it was late 2014 when we moved in yeah
0: yeah i remember it feeling very fresh and new um i also discovered the delights of the uh the local las vegas police force who were quite um I don't want to say they turned a completely blind eye but they were certainly a little more lenient than I was expecting because we were we were blessed with a couple of um Shelby Cobra Mustangs we had that there's that kind of little uh square-shaped loop that you can do around the yeah. industrial estate that we would I guess we call it maybe you call it something different yeah. and uh, there was a a couple of very friendly um motorbike cops who were there who were just like "Yep, you know just go down that don't go crazy like enjoy the car but let's let's not be silly um and yeah I was very fortunate to have a little rip in uh, in some cars that made the kind of supercharger sounds that would make any any human being giggle and if it didn't then I'd kind of accuse them of not having a soul because it's just there's something about that that little whine and bark all happening at the same time
2: it's like a going through a blender or something it's just magical
1: yeah what a a vision uh, (laughs) you know it's been a
2: great place for us and we we get a lot of support from the city of las vegas to be there they're excited to have shelby in their backyard yeah um, a couple of times every year we do what we call the shelby bash which is a big four-day event in las vegas and brings in people from really around the world um to celebrate shelby we do track time we do you know poker runs we've got tours up through the through the desert and all kinds of different activities and couple of years in a row we were successful in doing what we called snakes on the strip and so we were coordinated with the police there and we had a line i think the biggest we had was about 75 shelby cars three wide going down the las vegas oh, strip wow. And really quite a sight to see. It was uh, it was a lot of fun to do that. It's not easy to get the strip blocked off like that, so it doesn't happen every year, but um, quite quite a sight for the city. Yeah.
3: Well, I mean, surely this year, it, you know, it being uh, uh, Carol's 100th birthday, this year should be one of those years that you have you get to do it again, surely.
2: Well, let's hope. We're, we're working on planning it right now, so we'll see how that goes. I'll send you a picture if we can get that done. Yeah. yeah. Well, or, or if you need a couple of extra drivers, you know, Amy and I, we're very yeah, happy to fly yes, across. most definitely. <laughs> yeah.
0: No, no, no. <laughs> Any excuse to get back to Vegas, I think it was a good one. If it involves cars, then it's even better, isn't it? Um, now, speaking of that centenary, I guess we should also talk about Goodwood because, of course, Goodwood Revival, a world-famous event that happens here in the UK. It's one that, for both Amy and I in both our personal and our uh, working careers, it's a huge event on our calendar. Um, I've been attending since I was a small child, and now I'm there you know, putting together interviews and hosting and presenting bits and pieces amy's there as a world famous world-renowned photographer getting bits and pieces and um, how big is the event for you over there are you aware of the scale of it are you have you been before
2: i have so we went in my family uh, my wife and two sons we were there in 2015 when they had all six of the daytona coupes there of course cool. yes. and you know that was the first time since the 60s all six of those cars had been together And it was when we found out that was going to happen. It's like, okay, we've, I've heard of the revival. I've read about it, but I never had been. I'm like, we got to figure this out. So we actually, school here had started already, but we took our kids out of school for about a week. And, um, my brother and his wife and son came. I, and my youngest brother and his wife came as well. And so it was a family affair to go do that. And it's hard to describe the revival. I don't know. Even today when I'm telling somebody here about that doesn't really get it, I'm like, I don't I mean, you show them pictures. I just don't know how you describe it. It's it's, it's on a scale that you just don't see anywhere else. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've been wanting to go back since 2015. I've been to the Festival of Speed once since then, but um, not the revival. So when this popped up as an opportunity, I've, we jumped on it. We said, this is definitely, you know, this is our time to go back. Great to celebrate, Carol, but just, a, just an extraordinary event that takes place every year there.
0: Yeah, no, I'm really looking forward to it. And I'm guessing there's going to be quite a strong gathering then of, Shelby cars for the event
2: there is. And so it's been fun working with the Goodwood team. We want to have a good representation of the cars from the fifties that Carol raced and ideally as they're good and they have a lot of contacts, the actual cars he raced as mm. much as possible, not just a model of those cars. And then through the sixties, obviously the Shelby Cobras and Mustangs. And so we've been working with a lot of collectors that we know, uh, the Goodwood staff knows a lot of collectors that have some of these cars as well. And we don't have a complete list yet, but. It's coming together really nicely. I think people are going to be really impressed with what we end up with on the on the display ground um, in the parade laps and what we have. One of the cars that we're going to ship over, family wise, we have the 1949 MGTC that Carol won his first race in, the oh, wow, 1952, amazing. and so we're going to ship that over uh, to have on display.
3: That's going to be so wonderful to be able to see. I'm I'm really excited about this now. So I mean, every every year, if anybody is listening and they haven't ever been to the Goodwood Revival. it's what, second weekend of September, something like that? Yeah, usually
0: around then, yeah. So uh, yeah, Mm -hmm. definitely
3: look into getting tickets now as well. And especially if you are, even if you're not based in the UK, as you said, it's so indescribable as an event to be able to get to. You you have to, you just have to physically go and and, and live it for the weekend or even just a day to really understand everything it's about.
0: Mm, It is magical. I think the, the best description I ever heard was, it's a film set that you didn't realize you were part of or on until you were there. Because, of course, it's set as a, it's called the revival for that reason. It's reviving the memory of these amazing cars that raced both there at Goodwood and at other events all over the world. And the great thing is here, people dress up. So they dress up in the period costume or clothing. And it's almost, you know, I remember going as a child and there were perhaps 15 to 20% of people in attendance would dress up in the period outfits. Uh, whereas now it's probably more like 10 to or maybe even 5% of the people that attend that don't dress up. So suddenly you're yeah. there in this. And it's I guess you could it could so easily be cheesy and corny, but there's just something just so magical about it. It's a it's a little escape from reality for for t- two or three days in attendance and surrounded by amazing cars, yeah. some amazing drivers, great, great people. It's just yeah, it's a, an atmosphere that I I'm yet to see. Rivaled elsewhere. I know you, we spoke before, actually before the um, before we hit record on on the podcast here, and you mentioned that you're going to be heading over to Le Mans Classic, and that that's kind of close because again you get to see this amazing collection of cars and sounds, just the the sound of cars heading down the Mulsanne Straight and ripping through, and it's such a rare thing these days to get the opportunity to see cars that raced in period racing again and being driven properly Mm -hmm. you know they're driven hard these cars are being driven by professional racing drivers who are quite happy to go door handle to door handle into the corners and we're talking many many millions of pounds and dollars of cars racing around (laughs) with spectators going oh god you know like (laughs) trying not to watch but yeah i think it's going to be amazing and i I, i'm sure to a certain degree it's going to be quite an emotional experience for you seeing a lot of the cars that your grandfather was so heavily involved in Building or driving all in that one place.
2: No, I think you're exactly right. We're very excited about it, but I think it's going to be when it's complete and everybody's there on site with all the vehicles on site. I think there's going to be a lot of emotion around that. And it's just hard to gauge the impact that he had and the number of, you know, not just vehicles that he had an impact on, but the people he had an impact on. And you know unfortunately, a lot of those folks are not with us any longer, but we do have a number of them that are still here, and they talk about the times that they spent with him and the team. and uh, we're hoping that this translates well. the The group at Goodwood is just fantastic at really getting a vision like this and putting something spectacular together. So it's going to be a neat neat show. We're excited to get over there. I think one of the other interesting aspects is, you know Carol presents a couple of interesting uh, observations on on how you celebrate him. He was a Air Force pilot in World War II, and so obviously Goodwood usually has some of the World War II planes on yeah. display. Sometimes they do some flyovers. Um, they're really trying to track down maybe a couple of the types of planes that Carroll flew to have them there, so that would be interesting. And again, just looking at the different breadth of cars that's going to be there. When he raced cars in the 50s, he raced, as I mentioned, the MG earlier, he raced Porsches, Ferraris, Maseratis, Aston Martins. He raced a little bit of everything back then. And so it'll be interesting to see how we get that curated and put together and, and what all we can get to have on site there. It's going to be a, an eye-opening experience, I think, for a lot of people with Carroll's history. You know, I think also he is probably one of the few people that he raced there as a driver with Aston Martin in 1959. Wow. The Cobra Daytona Coupes raced there in 64 under his under the Shelby team banner. And then obviously later in life, he was there in the early 2000s for the revival and, and, and whatnot. And so he's going to be one of the few that I think gets honored that it's spent that much time at Goodwood in different capacities. Mm. Yeah. Oh, it's amazing. And I, I, you are saying there about... How is how is that show going
0: to be put together with the cars that he raced and the and and the cars that he engineered? If there's one team in the world that can put that together, it is that team at Goodwood. So I'm really, <laughs> really, really looking forward to seeing it in person. It's going to be really magical.
3: I mean, continuing on talking about all the good that that Carroll um, did. while well, he's alive and now continues to be done. Tell us a little bit more about the Carroll Shelby Foundation.
2: Uh, I'd love to. Yeah, So after Carol had his heart transplant in 1990. Nineteen ninety-one, he started the what was at the time the Shelby Heart Fund. And what he really wanted to do was help families with children having heart transplants. He saw a number of those when he was waiting in the hospital for his heart. And through the years, the the entity has evolved. It's now the Carol Shelby Foundation. We really have two strong components to it. We still help families with children going through transplant care, not just on the heart side, but could be any any organ transplant. And there's a couple of organizations here in the States that we we help support in that regards, because you don't think about all of the ancillary stuff that goes along with that from a family perspective, What well, it's probably travel, you know, you don't have transplant hospitals in every town. There's a lot of travel involved. There's a lot of physical therapy involved. There's a lot of medications involved. And so there's an ongoing need for this. And so that was something Carol really wanted to focus on. So that's our, our first core leg of the foundation the second one about uh, almost 15 years ago now um, he was from a small town in east texas and there's a small college there and they have an auto tech program that at the time wasn't doing well and so he gave them money and then it's now rebranded the carol shelby automotive technical training school and so the idea is somebody coming out of high school here in the states you don't have to go get a four-year degree to be successful you just need to get a trade education and this auto tech program provides that trade education and over the last several years, we've now expanded that to helping, uh, I think we've got three other schools around the country that were helping with scholarships for kids to go through these programs. And so that's really the two core, um, aspects of what the foundation focuses on today. And I think we struggled a bit after Carol passed away because he used to sign autographs and auction cars to raise money. And so we, we had a little, a few years in there trying to figure out exactly how do we keep this going? And I think we've got good traction now. We've we've gone to auction some cars. We've got different Team Shelby enthusiast events where they do um, silent auction items. We've got other people who just give straight donations to the foundation after they find out what we do. And so, it's for me, I think that's the most satisfying piece of what I do. I enjoy the cars and I love the camaraderie of all the people. But Carol really wanted his legacy to live on through the Carol Shelby Foundation, and we're doing that as much as we can today through helping the family with families with uh, children going through transplants and then the automotive education side as well.
0: Mm, That's fantastic. Yeah. Such a wonderful cause to be part of and making a huge, huge difference to, to families and young lives and things. I think that's great. Yeah. Fantastic. Cool. Well, um, I guess we should probably let you get on with your working day. We're, we're, where are we now? We're approaching eight o'clock in the morning for you now.
2: Eight o'clock. The sun's almost up here.
0: (laughs) Well, thank you so much for joining us. Um, early this morning um late, early afternoon for us but early early this morning for you i really hope i'm sure we will but i really hope we get the opportunity to meet in person at the revival both amy and i will be there we'll be working there uh, amy most likely with at least two cameras around her neck and me probably with and a cool. microphone in one hand and some audio equipment in the other because <laughs> uh, it would be great to um to recap on this and and have a have a follow-up and see these cars in person i just think it's going to be absolutely magical you mentioned earlier that people often send you um, photos, images of of your grandfather, and, and lovely little anecdotes. And um, are we okay to shout out your social feeds so that people can
2: can do oh, that? sure, yeah, no problem. So uh, Instagram is a. a Shelby Cobra, so Perfect. it's uh, that's probably the best way to get a hold of me at this point in time. Also on Facebook under Aaron Shelby.
0: Fantastic. I don't get on
2: Twitter very often, so just just those two are my my primary ones. So that'd be awesome. I'd appreciate it. I'll send you all a couple of photos. I talked to you about the uh, the Dodge Viper at the Indy Brilliant. 500. I'll send you that one, and um, I'll probably send you one of us at the Revival in 2015. We had the both boys dress up in the bib overalls like Carol used to wear when he raced. Oh, amazing.
3: amazing. Oh, I can't wait to see that. They had
2: a, the goggles around their neck, and it was, uh, <laughs> it was a good sight. They had, they had a lot of fun with that. Fantastic, fantastic.
0: Well, you've heard that there, listeners. You can head over to our Instagram feed right now, and you can see those images that we've put up today um for now aaron thank you so much this really has been a huge huge pleasure talking to you and um yeah as i say look forward to continuing our story and, and having a catch up with you in person in september hopefully it's uh, it's gonna be a busy year we'll no doubt we'll blink we'll do one long blink and it'll be here won't it <laughs>
2: <laughs> no, that's exactly right it's, uh, we were working on some planning a couple days ago for that and I was like man this is going to be here before we know it so <laughs> yeah. we're excited about it I look forward to meeting both of you in person there as well Fantastic
3: Pleasure. thank Brilliant. you so much for, for chatting to us and um, yeah look forward to speaking to you soon
1: excellent thank you thanks Aaron the Driven Chat Podcast in association with Paramex Digital
3: we're back Hey, hey. I said <laughs> we'd be
0: back and I'm a man of my word here we are how was that for you Amy Shaw
3: that was wonderful it's one of those where you just chat away to somebody and you just think I wish that first of all we were on on the same kind of continent that mm. would be that would be a good start because um just to sit in a pub with Aaron I think yeah. and just chat about I don't just it's all those little stories that you think oh there was this other time that this happened oh and then there was this time that he said that this story happened and you know even if it's not Aaron's stories directly with his grandfather he's probably what you know you you sit there with your grandparents and they tell you the stories and they're those little family stories that I think are my favorite to listen to the ones that haven't always necessarily been documented and talked about in articles or tv shows films in this case and um yeah for me it's those little stories I wish I could hear more of
0: yeah no I really really enjoyed that and um, yeah an agenda for a a revival Oh, good idea! Find
3: some home stories.
0: Find some home stories. We'll just take Aaron away from his big <laughs> spectacle of an event and just go. There's a there's a beer tent over there. Should we just go and sit down over there? Get I think sh- that that would be a great. Podcast, would yes. it not? Yeah, just getting slightly wavy at the Goodwood Revival. Yeah, you know, we'll make sure we've got a driver to take us home. But um, that's where the good stories come out. Uh, Now, uh, and again, our thanks to Aaron, because he, uh, so we recorded this, we started at one o'clock in the afternoon here in Blighty, and uh, for Aaron, that was 7am, he was in the office at 7am to record that over Zoom with us. He had shirt and tie on and everything. Keen, ready to go, ready to (laughs) give mortgage advice, but not before talking cars with us (laughs) here in um, Coventry. Uh, Now... I promised, I teased before we went into the conversation with Aaron that there are a few things that I wanted to talk about, and um, here they are. Firstly, if this was your first episode with us, hello, welcome, thank you for joining us. I believe there's approximately 140, maybe more, episodes that you can catch up on if you liked this sort of thing. Um, Every single week we speak to a different guest, um, somebody much like Aaron, or we've spoken to car designers, we've spoken to racing drivers, we've spoken to presenters, who, I mean, photographers, we've spoken to everyone. We've spoken to a lot of people. 140-odd people.
3: Yes. Yeah. And they, I think a lot of them do almost, I don't know, there's not many crossover jobs that we've that we've uh, interviewed people on. There's been a mm. number of racing drivers, I guess, but that's probably about the only crossover job. Yeah. Inventor. We had a cool inventor. We had an
0: inventor. A couple yeah. of car designers. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, basically what I'm saying is, if this is your first episode, um, go and have a listen to more because there, there's many more featuring additional voices, not just mine and but there are uh, additional voices that have come and gone, and more to come, and, and that's the most important thing. We've got loads more episodes coming up as well, so hit that little subscribe button if you like, and if you're feeling especially generous, and only if you are, um, if you have the time and the means and the ability to give us a little review, a little five star rating. It does wonderful things. I know it's a little bit crass asking for people to like you. Please will you like us? (laughs) Please will you say nice things about us on the internet for strangers? Uh, But it does help us hugely. And if that's the one and only thing you do to say, hey, thanks for that lovely chat, that would just be great. And even if you just give us a five-star review and say, That episode was brilliant.
3: Or just thumbs up emoji. We'll take that. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Thumbs up emoji in whatever level of suntan you require. (laughs) Mine at the moment is quite dark. I've just been on holiday. So yeah, I've got a a tanned thumbs up. Sure. (laughs) Um, Also things to tell you, YouTube channel we do some of the video stuff as well. Uh, There's a lot. uh, uh, It's a bit me heavy at the moment. I'm hoping to change that very soon. But there's a lot of me driving around in expensive cars, which is fun. Uh, You can go and see everything from Bentley, Mulsanne, through to Zenvos, through to Aston Martin Vantages, BMW M5s, a lot of BMW products. Um, Audi R8s up there. We've just reviewed a Kia EV6. Don't mean to brag, but. That's right. It's a Kia <laughs> EV6. Uh, all of that is for you to see on our YouTube channel. So go and have a look. Search for Driven Chat on YouTube, and you will see everything that we do there. There's also our website where we have written articles. We've got photographs taken by the very talented Amy Shaw photography. Oh, stop it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so if you, if you, if perhaps you're listening, going, I, I don't know if I heard of this Amy Shaw. and You want to go and see what she's all about. Head over to the website. You'll see some great galleries there. Of course, you can also follow Amy Shaw Photography on Instagram and you'll see even more photographs there. Uh, we've also just added some clothing to our website. Are you aware of this, Amy Shaw? I, no.
3: This well, is the first... Well, oh, wait, well. hang on. I might have seen an Instagram something or other, but I don't remember. don't recall anything.
1: Yeah, we've Where's added some my t-shirt? T-shirts. Where is our, my T-shirt? Where is your... <laughs>
0: where, where, is, where is Amy's T-shirt? Um, <laughs> it's... Uh, yeah, uh, it's coming. So... Um, uh, think of it as a wedding present. Thank you. Uh, okay, a, okay. An early wedding present. Um, yes, we have some clothing. If you fancy wearing some T-shirts with our logo on and some poorly thought out captions written by me, um, <laughs> head on over to the shop section of our website and have a little look. You don't have to buy anything. Just have a look. <laughs> Bumps us up in the... Uh, gives, gives me a little notification traffic spike on my phone, which is fun. Um, but Yeah. Have a look. Um, also, keep an eye on our social feeds, that's at Driven Chat, uh, because we have got a couple of events coming up where we are going to be having a very small, when I say very small, I'm talking one to 200 guest live podcast recordings. Um, I won't say too much about them simply for the reason that I don't know how much I can say, um, because I know that there's an awful lot of tickets being sold to a certain membership group of said locations. Uh, but just keep an eye on our social feeds because Especially if you're listening to some real time. Uh, so, early February, towards the end of February 2023, we are planning on having at least one live podcast recording that you will be able to come and attend. So, just keep an eye on the social feeds for that. Um, also, and this is a fairly big one if you are listening to this, you are based here in the United Kingdom where we make these recordings, or maybe further afield with aspirations to travel. And you would like to get perhaps the opportunity to work in this here industry, i.e. automotive, video, podcast, events, journalism, writing. If you like cars and you have an interest in media and you think, do you know what, I feel I might be quite good or an asset to this production. And crucially, if you're aware of the kind of stuff we've made already. So perhaps if you're not, now's the time to go and have a look. Um, We might be interested in hearing from you. Now, I'm not going to make any huge promises or give any formal, um, what's the word I'm looking for, job descriptions, Yep. Uh, because at the moment we're open to all sorts. But if you are somebody that you think could bolster our brand slightly, if you think I could be a member of that team and make it even better than it already is, then I want to hear from you. So please email me. And the way you can do that is to the email address, which is hello at drivenchat.com. Write me an email. Tell me why you think you might be good. Include some information. I will do my damnedest to reply to everybody. Um, Even if it's just a kind of like, thank you, I'll keep you on record. Uh, But yes, we are looking at bolstering our team slightly and show me what you got. Yeah. It's exciting,
3: isn't it? It's, it's funny. When, when I'm sat here listening to you, I, I forget that I'm on the other end of the recording. I just sat here listening as if I'm listening to a podcast. So. <laughs> it's because
0: you've got the headphones on. It's
3: because I've got the headphones See? on. See? And I'm also slightly distracted that I've just realised that you've not got any shoes on.
0: No, you're right. I yeah. rarely do in the office, actually. <laughs> it's 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 nice they're they're hidden behind our fake wall just over here
3: so if you want to join John Markle with no shoes on then yeah get in touch
0: (laughs) come along and walk around an office in Coventry with no shoes on it's (laughs) it's a comfortable way of of working um Should we let these nice people get on with their day? I think we should. Yeah, Amy Shaw, thank you so much. Oh, ah, no, one more thing. There is one more thing. I think we, you and I, are a little overdue for a listeners' letters episode. Yes. So shall we encourage people to get in contact with us with their letters?
3: Yes, I think this
0: will be good. Um, so do that. If you're not quite sure what we're referring to, have a look back on the list of episodes that we've done. We had a listeners' episodes or collective moans, I think we called it.
3: Yeah, the um, moans are good. Moans are always good because we all join in and go, yeah, that's crap. Yeah,
0: exactly, exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah, basically, it's, it's an hour and a bit of us ranting about what other road users are doing wrong. We all do it. We all moan about it, and we want to hear yours. So if you haven't heard the previous episodes, it's uh, collective moans. With Amy and John, and there's also another one which I think I titled "How to Cla- How to Crash a Classic Mini," yes, which featured listeners' letters. So have a listen to those, and if you think oh, I've got quite a good story that I can tell about the car world, or I hate it when this happens, uh, put it into words, send it over to us. We'll read it on our podcast, and people all around the world will hear it. Woohoo! woo-hoo. Isn't that fun? Um, thank you. Thank you very much for listening. Don't forget to give us a give us a sub if you're not subscribed to us already on the podcast platform that you are listening to. If you're feeling especially kind and generous, leave us a review. Don't forget to check us out on YouTube. Why not hit subscribe there as well? Because that's fun. Then head over to the website and have a look at our shop. Maybe buy something, don't if you don't want to. No pressure, completely up to you. And most importantly, have a lovely day.
3: It'll tick off all of those things and that's your day done.
0: That is your day done. <laughs> yeah. Uh, thank you, baby Shaw.
3: And thank you, John Mark. you have a lovely day too? Oh,
1: Thank you. Bye. Bye. The Driven Chat podcast in association with Paramex Digital. You dream it, we bring it to life. Find out more at DrivenChat.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no brainer.